Today we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So grab a Bible, either your own or one of the pew Bibles in front of you, and open to Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon preached by Jesus, and what we're calling the best sermon ever. Again, I make no claims that this particular sermon will be the best sermon ever, but as we study this sermon, which Jesus preached, we know it is the best sermon because he preached it. Three weeks ago, I introduced this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with a quote from John Stott, a well-known and respected scholar. And he said, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best-known part of the teaching of Jesus, though arguably it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. It's the most well-known part of the teaching of Jesus, arguably the least understood and certainly the least obeyed. And my hope is, at least for us, that we can change that some as we go through this sermon. Uh, yes, we want it to be well-known, but we also want to understand it, and we definitely want to obey it. So we're trying to work our way through it uh, bit by bit, and this is our fourth time. Uh, to recap what we've seen so far, this sermon that Jesus preaches is all about the kingdom of God. It's all about what does it look like when Jesus is your king, and you live under his rule as a follower of Jesus Christ. So in the beginning of the sermon, the first 12 verses, what are commonly known as the Beatitudes, Jesus gives this list of blessings. And what he's doing here is he's saying, this is how you become a member of my kingdom. This is how you get in. And it's not what you would expect. It's not him giving a list of things that you have to do. And if you check all these boxes and perform certain tasks, then you'll be good enough and you'll get in. He begins with this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get in by being poor in spirit. You get in by receiving freely from him this gift of adoption, by becoming a child of God. He, he offers it freely, and he says, would you come, be in my kingdom? We say, yes, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. I'm poor in spirit, but I, yes, I'll take it. So the way you get in is by grace. It's by believing in Jesus and following him. And then in the next few verses, in verses 13 through 16, Jesus gives the mission. He says, once you're in the kingdom, here's what you do. Your mission is to change the world. He uses the common images of salt and light and says, as Christians, you're meant to be salt, preserving society from its inevitable decay. And you're meant to be light, showing the world how good it can be to walk with and to follow God. Now as we get to verse 17, Jesus spends some time and he begins to unpack two huge and common misunderstandings that have plagued Christianity from the very beginning until now. Both of them have to do with the relationship between the Christian and obedience to God's law. On the one hand, you've got one major misunderstanding, which says that Christians, being saved by free grace, no longer have to obey the law of God. This misunderstanding we're going to call lawlessness. So since we're saved by grace, we don't have to obey God. The other misunderstanding on the other side is that Christians are saved and accepted by God on the basis of their obedience to the law. We'll call that legalism. So that one is because you obey the law, because you do what's right and good, then you are saved. That's a misunderstanding. These two misunderstandings are huge. They've played Christianity from the beginning, and Jesus spent some time here unpacking them, and so we're going to spend some time too. In fact, they're so big, they've just been two weeks. So this week we're just going to look at the first one, the issue of lawlessness. A misunderstanding of Christianity called lawlessness. Let's read our passage this morning. It's Matthew 5, 17 through 20. 
And we'll see what Jesus says about these issues. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We'll spend two weeks going over these verses. Today I want you to see this misunderstanding that I'm calling lawlessness. And, and we see it right off the bat in this passage. That the wording that I would use is to say it's, it's the misunderstanding of thinking that Jesus came to abolish the law of God. It's thinking that Jesus came to abolish the law of God. You see that right there in the first verse, the strong warning, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's saying, do not think that, I, that because I've come, that I'm somehow getting rid of God's commands. I'm not saying that if you follow me, you no longer have to follow God, that you no longer have to obey him. He's a very strong warning up front, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Okay, now, now just think about it. Generally, people don't have to make sort of strong warnings like that unless they're in danger of being misunderstood for some reason. Uh, so if I were talking to you and I were telling you how wonderful my wife is, and I was saying she's a wonderful person, she's very insightful, she's creative, she's talented, she's great, in, in the middle of that, I wouldn't have to stop and say, now don't get me wrong, I love my wife. Okay, I wouldn't have to do that. Because I, everything I would be saying would be affirming that. There would be no chance of misunderstanding. I'd only have to throw out that disclaimer if for some reason I were saying something that made you think I didn't love my wife. In the same way, Jesus here, he's making this caveat. He's saying, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's saying that because in some ways he's been doing and saying things that made people think maybe he did come to abolish the law. So what are some of the things that Jesus was doing and saying that led to this misunderstanding? Well, the first one is that Jesus taught salvation by free grace apart from obedience to the law. That's what he taught very clearly. He taught salvation by free grace apart from obedience to the law. We've already seen that in the Sermon on the Mount. The opening verses of the Beatitudes, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says, this is how you get in. It's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't begin by giving you a list of uh, commands that you have to uh, com- uh, uh, follow. You, not, not a bar that you have to exceed, and then you get into the kingdom. He says, the way you get into the kingdom is by grace. It's by coming with nothing in your hands, saying, I'm poor in spirit. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. Right? It's salvation by free grace. But it's not just right there. He teaches this throughout his ministry. One great example is Matthew 11. Just flip a few pages in your Bible to Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Another time, Jesus says this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus looks out and he sees people harassed, helpless, burdened, weighed down. He says, you, you, you can't do it. You're not making it. You're, you're struggling. He come, says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He doesn't say, come to me and I will give you some hoops to jump through. And when you jump through those hoops, then I will give you salvation. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's free grace. It's an offer of grace. He says, all you have to do, just come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus taught salvation by free grace. He said, you're just saved by grace. Nothing you have to do. And because he, he taught that, you can see how this misunderstanding might get some legs then where people think, well, he must, did, did he come to abolish the law then? Because he's really not saying a lot about the law. He's not saying you have to follow the law. And, and, and if you do obey the commands, then you come to me and I'll give you rest. He's just saying, come to me. And they think, well, if obedience isn't necessary, then maybe it's unimportant. And his actions seem to back that up. So in his teaching, he teaches free grace. And then in his actions, you see that Jesus lived in freedom from obedience to, to burdensome rules. He lived in freedom from these burdensome rules. There was a group of people who were obsessed with the rules. Those were the Pharisees and the scribes. These guys are experts in the law. The scribes, it's their job. They record the law. They, they, they're, they're writing it. They are these scribes who are actually keeping the, the actual books of the law. The Pharisees are very concerned about the law. They're so concerned about keeping it, they'll create extra rules as a fence around the law to say, well, if the law says don't do this, then we're going to say don't do this so we don't even get close to where we'd possibly break the law. So they're very concerned about keeping the law. And when you read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you see he is constantly breaking their rules and mocking them for it. They've got all sorts of rules. So they've got these rules about what constitutes work on the Sabbath, very restrictive rules. And Jesus intentionally finds people to heal on the Sabbath in front of them to show them how stupid their rules are. They've got these rules about who they can eat with, and most of the time it's good rule-keeping people like themselves. And Jesus goes out of his way to eat with people who are conspicuous sinners like tax collectors and prostitutes. And he does it so often that these rule-keepers call him a glutton and a drunkard. They've got these rules about ceremonial hand-washing before eating and also the specific uh, foods that they're supposed to eat. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you wash your hands. It doesn't matter what you eat. So if you're following Jesus around and you're seeing him break all of the Pharisees and the scribes' rules all the time, it would be easy to conclude, oh, Jesus has come to abolish the law. Obedience doesn't matter. Because he's always breaking their rules, therefore... Obedience to God's law must not be important anymore. But this, here, this, this is a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. It's what we call lawlessness. It's an error that's been around the church for a long time. It has different names. The fancy name, if you want to know it, is antinomianism. Antinomianism. So impress your friends. Uh, but it just means lawlessness. Lawlessness. You know, not believing that you have to follow God's law. It's the belief that Christians are saved by free grace, which is true, but since we're saved by free grace, we don't have to obey God's law anymore. We don't have to obey his rules. Our lifestyles don't matter. After all, everything's forgiven anyway, so why does it matter if we do what's right or not? It's been around since Jesus. It's never left us. You see it in the writings of Paul in the New Testament. One of the best examples is 1 Corinthians. This church was messed up. Paul Paul planted this church. He preaches the gospel to them. They think they understand the gospel of free grace, but they take it so far that they have this motto. And you can see the motto in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. It's 
all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful. This was their motto. They they thought they understood grace. And and grace means that everything's lawful. There's nothing that's wrong anymore. I can do it all because Jesus has forgiven me. And so you can read how in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul calls them out on this motto and he says, you guys are using this as an excuse to sleep with prostitutes. As if that doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want because all things are lawful because Jesus paid for our sins and our lifestyle doesn't matter. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, it's actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He says, you guys, you guys are so off base that, that, that you've got this guy in your church who's something horrible. Even the pagans admit, like, this is messed up. But you guys are proud about it. Because you're saying, look at us, look how much we understand grace. We don't even care that he's doing this crazy thing. Even that's forgiven by Jesus. And they think, this is what it is, right? That's, that's, that's the gospel. No, that's not the gospel. Paul's saying, that's a misunderstanding. That's lawlessness. It was, it was, it was prevalent in the New Testament. It's a misunderstanding. Uh, it also, in the early church, it continued to exist. There was a, an early heretic by the name of Marcion. And this guy uh, thought he understood the gospel And he thought that the gospel was completely against everything that happened in the Old Testament. He thought that was the total opposite of obedience to the law. So he he got rid of the Old Testament. He changed parts of the New Testament to to reflect this view. Even the verse we're looking at today, Matthew 5, 17, that says in truth, do not think I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. They switched it. Marcin and his followers switched it to say, so that Jesus was saying, I have not come to fulfill the law, but to abolish it. They were really explicit about it, saying, yeah, this, you know, the gospel got it wrong here. We're going to change it around because what Jesus was really doing was coming to abolish the law. Okay? Now, this, this air has been around for a long time, and it continues. It continues today. We see the air of lawlessness in a number of ways in our modern church. Uh, one of them is, is a, a thing that's been called by some easy believism. I don't know if you heard that. Easy believism. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. But it's the idea that, that you can hear a gospel presentation, you can pray a prayer or, or raise your hand or walk the aisle and, and, and receive the free gift of salvation, but then it never changes your life. You never really follow Jesus. It's just a one-time transaction that you do. You receive this free gift. You purchase your fire insurance from hell, so to speak. You take him as your Savior, but not your Lord and King. You're saved by grace, but you don't have to obey. That's the same misunderstanding. It's a persistent misunderstanding of the gospel. That's lawlessness, that you can somehow get Jesus to save you, but not be your Lord and Master. You also see it in the ask forgiveness rather than permission mindset. Asking forgiveness rather than permission. So, I personally have not had this happen to me yet as a pastor, but all my pastor friends have a story remarkably similar to this. I pray it doesn't happen here. Where a man comes, or doesn't come, but they find out that this man in the church is leaving his wife for another woman. And so the pastor talks to him, the elders talk to him, friends talk to him, they confront him, they say, this is wrong, you can't do this. Jesus says this is wrong. This is clear teaching in Scripture. You're not supposed to leave your wife. And the man will say something like, I know but I love her, and surely God understands, and he'll forgive me anyway. Yeah, this, this, this happens. I pray it doesn't happen here. 
But this is, this is a, an, a manifestation of this persistent misunderstanding of the gospel that we would think, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing. I know it's wrong. It's clearly wrong. I'm making an obvious decision to disobey. But you know what, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it, and God will forgive me anyway. That's lawlessness. We also see it in our casual attitude towards our own personal sin. The casual way we look at our own personal sin. All of us have sin. We've got our besetting sins, likely certain temptations of of our own that we're more likely to give into than others. For you, it might be pride, or maybe it's lust, or anger, or gossip, or something. And lawlessness comes in when we get used to those sins. When we simply just get used to coexisting with that sin, we say, I know it's wrong. I know it's technically wrong. But God's gracious, so it's just not that big a deal. I'm just going to keep doing it. It's just who I am. And, And we say that changing or pursuing holiness is just too hard. And it doesn't matter anyway, right? Because we're saved by grace and God forgives. That's lawlessness. It's alive and well today. It's always been around. But it's a complete misunderstanding of the life and teaching of Jesus. So he begins this passage by saying very clearly, do not think I have come to abolish the law. Why did he come? That's the misunderstanding. What's the right understanding? Well, the right understanding, he tells us, is that Jesus came to fulfill the law of God. We see this again in his life and his teaching. He came to fulfill the law. Do you see that verse 17? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. One way in which Jesus fulfilled the law is by coming and teaching the full expression of the law. The law of, I'm going to call it the law of love. Jesus fulfilled the law by coming and teaching the full expression of the law, the law of love, teaching what the law is really about. On the one hand, when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus going, you you do see him uh, attacking different rules and interpretations and breaking different rules and things, and, and you can begin to think he is against the law, but no, he's never actually against God's law. He's always against the misinterpretation of the scribes and the Pharisees. The rules he's breaking, they're never the true law. They're always the, the accretions that have built up around the law that the Pharisees and the scribes have put in there, the misinterpretations. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see he's always fulfilling the true law of God. But he always has to tear down the false understanding before he builds up the right one. And that, that's really what the whole of chapter 5 is about. It's Jesus tearing down these false interpretations and building up the right one. If you want the cliff notes, though, just turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he sums it up, Matthew seven twelve. In conclusion, Jesus says, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Kind of like, in case you haven't been paying attention all the time and you haven't gotten what I'm saying, let me spell it out for you. The true summary of the law is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The so-called golden rule. This is, in fact, the consistent message of the New Testament. As you keep on reading through, you see this is how all the different authors of the New Testament summarize the law of God. It's the law of love. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is asked a question again. He gives a slightly different formulation, but the exact same answer. In Matthew 22, 36, 
someone comes up and asks him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's summing it up again. This is the whole law and the prophets. This is the fulfillment of the law. I'm teaching you the fulfillment. Love God, love people. You might notice that's on the front of our bulletins. This is our mission statement. Why did we pick that? Because this is Jesus telling us. This is what Christianity is literally all about. In Romans 13, Paul explains the same thing. Romans 13, verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. James gets in on the action. James chapter 2, verse 8. James says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. He says, you want to know if you're doing well? You want to know if you're really following the law? Just ask yourself this question. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Because that sums up the whole thing. I had this t-shirt when I was younger. It's kind of a dumb shirt, but it had a basketball on it and said, basketball is life. The rest is just details. There are all sorts of different ones. Okay, what Jesus is giving it for us here is that t-shirt. He's saying, the law of God is love. The rest is just details. It's all good. It's all helpful. It's relevant. It's important to read the rest of the scriptures and understand how that fleshes out. But the law of God is love. The rest is just details. This is how Jesus fulfilled the law, is by coming and really laying it out for us and saying, this is what it is. The fulfillment of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what he modeled. He didn't just teach it. He modeled it with his life. Yes, you see him all over the place breaking these stupid rules that religious folks had made. But you never once see him failing to love another person. You always see him consistently living out a life of love. That's the second way in which he fulfilled the law, is that he actually did it. He taught us the fullness of it, and then he fulfilled it by living it. He lived a life of perfectly loving other people. When you look to Jesus, you see what it looks like to keep God's law of love. What it looks like to love your neighbors yourself. You see it in the way that Jesus crossed social boundaries and talked and ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and notorious sinners. He didn't wait for them to clean up, but he went and entered their mess. He shows that's what love is. You see it in the way that he always had time and compassion to heal one more person, even when he was exhausted and desperate for rest. You see it in the way he didn't let stupid, self-righteous rules and stupid, self-righteous people get in the way of actually helping others who needed it. You see it in the way that he would stop what he was doing, lay aside his own agenda, and help a person just because some blind guy on the road said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Or a woman in the crowd reached out to touch his robe because she thought that would bring healing. You see it in the way that Jesus had incredible compassion for those who were oppressed. And at the same time challenged the religious and political authorities who were oppressing them. And most of all, you see it in the way that he offered his life to die on the cross for our sins. When you and I should have been the ones up there. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see him perfectly fulfilling the law of love. 
and he shows us by his life how to live it as well. So here's the invitation. King Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his kingdom. It's a totally free invitation. It's absolutely by grace. But it's a life-changing invitation. He doesn't invite us to a life of lawlessness. He invites us to a life of deep obedience. Obedience to the true law, the law of love. In response to the invitation, there's three ways that you can go. There's three kinds of people, and this is the rest of our passage this morning. Matthew 5, 18 and 19. Jesus lays out, or sorry, 19 and 20. Jesus lays out three people here, three kinds of people, and says, here's the responses. Which one are you? We'll start at the bottom. In verse 20, he says, you could be not in his kingdom. That's one kind of person you could be, someone who's not in the kingdom. Verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's laid out here saying there are certain people who are not in the kingdom. It's possible to not be in the kingdom. You cannot enter. Those who reject the invitation aren't in. Now this verse um, can cause people a lot of trouble. We're going to spend all week on this next, next time. All Sunday next time on this verse. But to be clear... We have to understand, he say, he, we know by now, you don't get in the kingdom by obedience. You don't get in the kingdom by following a certain list of rules. That was the error of the scribes and the Pharisees. They went the opposite direction from lawlessness. They went into legalism. They thought, if we just keep these rules, if we do all these laws, if we, if we follow them perfectly, then we will be good enough. And the net result was that they were filled with self-righteousness, but not real righteousness. They were very proud of what they'd done. They were very self-reliant, but they had no real righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says here, you need to have more righteousness than them. They have none. You need to have real righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus. Saying if you reject the kingdom by trying to go off on your own, you're not even going to make it in. So the first thing all of us have to decide is, are we going to be in the kingdom or not? Are we going to respond to the invitation? Are we going to come poor in spirit saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus? Or are we going to go off on our own? We all have to choose. That's the first response. Are you going to be in the kingdom or not? But once you're in the kingdom, so you do choose to follow Jesus. You have put your faith in him. You are poor in spirit. You want to, to follow Christ. You want to be in his kingdom. Once you've done that, there's still a choice. And that's what he lays out in verse 19. You can be least in the kingdom, or you can be great in the kingdom. Verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives us these two points on a spectrum. He's talking about people in the kingdom. You notice that. He's saying you can be least in the kingdom or great. You're both in the kingdom. So we're talking about real, saved, born again, uh, genuine, believing Christians. You can be in the kingdom. You can be least or you can be great. You can be somewhere in between. How do you get to be least? Well, it's, it's lawlessness, right? That, that's what he's talking about. He's saying you're least if you relax one of these commandments, if you, if you, if you say, it's, it's not important anymore, we don't really have to follow God, you teach other people to do the same, say, it's all grace, it's all grace, just live however you want. 
See, if you do that, if you embrace that air of lawlessness, you will be called least in the kingdom. How do you get to be great? Well, it's the opposite. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. If you really take God's command seriously to love your neighbor as yourself, you really do it, you really model that, you really teach others to do it as well, that's how you get to be great in God's kingdom. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who really wants to be least at anything. It's not a common desire, not a big aspiration to come in last at something, to be the least in something. Most of us don't even want to be average. In fact, most of us think we're above average. But none of us want to be an average parent. None of us want to have average children. None of us want to be average at our job. We all want to be great. I certainly do. And Jesus here is tapping into that desire and and saying, above all else, the real greatness that you want, the type of greatness that matters, is greatness in God's kingdom. If you want to be great, you get there by fulfilling the law of love. Of course, just to clarify, he's not talking here about being thought of as great by other people. That's what the scribes and Pharisees did, and we rightly reject them and revile them for it. It's not talking about you, ha- you know, being such a wonderful religious person that everybody looks at you and says, oh, look how great that person is. He's talking about being thought of as great in God's sight, about true greatness, about being honored by God as one who really did what God wanted. He's talking about the thing that we want at the end of our lives and for all eternity for God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll unashamedly admit, I want that. Do you want that? Do you want to be great in God's kingdom? Of course, I would rather be least in God's kingdom than not in it at all. That's a huge difference. I'd rather be least in God's kingdom than not in it at all. So by free grace, come and accept that salvation. Say, yes, Lord, I am in your kingdom. Thank you for that. But I don't, I don't really want to, want to meet God and have him say to me, you're here, but boy, you really wasted your life. I, I, just, I don't want that. He said, you're, you're here, but you really wasted your life by living for yourself and ignoring other people and not really loving them. You're in the kingdom, but you're least. I don't want that. I want to be great. And I want that for you too. I want us to get before the throne of God and for him to say, you got it. You understood. The law is to love one another as you love yourself. And you live your life for that. Well done, good and faithful servant. So the challenge for us today as we see God's word is to believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Get in the kingdom. And then take God's commands seriously. Dedicate your life to loving your neighbor as yourself, and you'll be called great in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your law. Thank you for showing us what it means to live a good life. We all want to live a good life. We all want to be great. It's, it's a natural desire. We want you to be proud of us. Uh, we want to not waste our lives. And so I pray that you would give us the grace even to love. Give us the grace to change us from the inside out that we would be more faithful, more loving, more concerned about others. Give us a desire to take your loss seriously, to go to battle against the sin that's in our own lives. That we might be more holy, might be more like you, might be more loving towards others. Pray this in Jesus' name.